Good to have you all here today. We have a number of things to, to get through. want to make sure we have time to, to accomplish them all. I did send you out a, a note and said we were going to talk about some of the things with Israel. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it, but just wanted to let you know uh, some of the things from the Word. Just to get you grounded on it. Thank you. Because I know that I've heard that people are saying some things about what is going on over there, and it's not true. So we just got to go back to what the Word of God says. Always go back to what the Word says. If we know what the Word says, then when things happen in this world, we know how, how it compares to it. So I've been made aware, I haven't listened to some of the people that are doing this, but I've been made aware that there are folks out there that are saying this is the beginning of World War III. These are pastors. I'm not talking about worldly people. We expect them to be stupid. I don't expect pastors to be, but they do. This is the beginning of World War III. They're calling this the Ezekiel War. They're calling this the um, Armageddon and things like that. Now, all of those things are just ridiculous. If you know the Bible, there are two wars that the Bible talks about. Jesus does warn us. He says there will be wars and rumors of wars. So we know that these things are going to be going on. There's going to be wars. There's going to be rumors of wars. These are going to be happening. But there are two specific wars that are put in. Some try to put them into the same category. They are not. The Ezekiel War occurs sometime before the tribulation begins or as it begins. One of those two. The Armageddon battle happens at the end. Those are the two big big things that are going to be going on. What is happening now is down in Gaza. And we also have the northern border now involved as well. Some people coming over from Lebanon. So we have two fronts that are on there. In the Ezekiel War and in the Armageddon War, there are multiple nations involved. Not two. There are multiple nations that are involved. The one that happens before the tribulation begins involves a lot of the nations from which Antichrist comes from. Because this, the result of that war will be to unseat three kings for which he will take their place. That is that war. We do not have anywhere near enough nations involved to make this the Ezekiel War, nor are the players that were in the Ezekiel battle involved. It is not the Ezekiel War. This is not kicking off the tribulation. It is not the Armageddon battle, because that involves a lot more. Now, I was listening to the one one group, I was thinking, maybe I'll, I listened to the first half of it and I thought, well, you know, this is nothing really enlightening, but maybe to, you know, I'll put this up there for Monday and I'll let y'all listen to it. Maybe it'll help out a little bit. Then we got into the second half. They had a commercial in the middle. <laughs> then we got into the second half. I said, oh, that is horrendous. Why are they teaching that? Oh, I cannot believe they just taught that. Oh, are you kidding me that you are teaching? So we said, we're not doing it. I actually just turned it off, went on to another one. Just know what the Bible says. Here's the thing. In prophecy... It is not necessary that we understand exactly what will happen. Prophecy is not here for you to understand exactly what will happen. It is here for you to understand what is happening. There's a big difference on that. When he talks about these things that are going on in the end times, it does not mean I need to look for these things so I am prepared for that. It means that when they unfold, there it is. Because the way the prophecy is done, very often, it, what well, could mean this? It could mean this. I'm not sure which one. When it unfolds, ah, 
That's what it was right there. We can see that. And that's how prophecy is designed. It is to help us. Paul writes these words in his epistles. He says, I write these things to you concerning the end times. And I believe it's to, to the Thessalonian saints. I write these things to you that you would have peace. Many things that people teach in the end times don't bring peace. They bring turmoil. They bring unrest, uncertainty. We don't have to have any of that. This war, I don't know this from prophecy. I don't know this because God gave me a direct word on it. I'm telling you just from the Bible. I'm telling you this. This war will likely be over soon. It will alter nations and powers to set up the end times. I'm sure of that. Just about anything that goes on, it can set up things for what is to come. I don't know exactly what that setup is, but I don't need to know. But they picked a fight. I don't know why they pick a fight, because they are completely overmatched. I have no sympathy for the people in the area of Gaza. I did hear, my wife was telling me she listened to Jesse on this, and Jesse made a good point, and I didn't listen to Jesse. If you heard Jesse, he's got like a 10, 12-minute thing that he did on this. I didn't hear it. If you heard it, that's, that's good. But I did hear this part that he said. He said, the people in Gaza elected the leadership they have. They knew what they would do before they put them in. It's not a surprise. You don't want that kind of thing coming from your leadership. Don't put them in place. That's what you got to do. That's what they had done. These folks that came over the border, they, did, they were not acting in war. They were slaughtering people. They were acting in evil. Now, the thing that I, I pray is that Israel does not respond in the same kind of evil that was done to them. And that God will... will now, one of the things I did mention to you, I didn't really teach you anything on this last week, but I did mention in the prayer, you, some of you heard me say this and maybe you were wondering why. I did say that if, they, if there were some warnings that the Spirit of God gave and they didn't heed them for God to still extend His mercy and, and to help them, there were warnings. I found out later on this week, Egypt gave them specific warnings of something that was going to happen. There was also probably warnings in the Spirit. God would be warning them as well. When you look at these things that are going on, don't say, well, God, why did you let that happen? That's not how it goes on. God does not stop people from doing things, but He warns us when things are going on that we can take action against it. You can see this so many times in the Bible. How many times was Paul warned about something and they took action against it? so that the end result wouldn't be there and other people in there as well. Don't let this war get you nervous. Don't be thinking that, oh, all these people are going to get involved. Oh, we're sending our carrier over there. I'm glad we're sending our carrier over there because that's carriers. That uh, involves a lot more pe- a lot more um, groups in that. That's a whole lot of power going on over there. And that just tells them, yo, <laughs> we are gonna, we're going to be there with them. Now, I don't know. If we, depending upon the president, you know, sometimes we're more behind Israel, sometimes we're less behind Israel, but they are, have been our greatest ally in that region, and we should certainly be standing there with them and to be helping them. So I hope that helps you out a little bit about this. Uh, don't let it get you all upset. Don't let it get you all worried about. There is, this is not bringing in anything of the end times, but it could be setting things up that are to come. The thing that we're going to be looking for, the Ezekiel War is the big one, and I do not know to this day, I do not know. Are we here for it, or does it happen after we go? And I don't know, but it's going to be right around that time, as far as I can understand Scripture, when all this will be going on. So, 
We are on to things for this week. We had a, well, last week we were looking at the cleansing of the leper. And I want to share something with you because uh, Victor Ekpe uh, wrote me a text message. He was listening to it on Saturday. He wrote me a text message on this. And I think you'll enjoy some of the things that he, I enjoyed some of the things that he was, he was sharing with us. But first off, this man went from knowing what Jesus could do. I know you can heal, but I don't know if you will. To discovering what Jesus would do. To determining what Jesus should do. He went from a place of being humble and in faith to prideful and in doubt and likely never noticed the change. That's how quick we can make that move. Don't You don't want to do that. Now, Victor sent me this about it. He said, and I, I just copied it right in here what he sent me. He said, there are three kinds of leprosy. He said, the first is tuberculoid. This causes this type causes a lot of skin tuberculosis all over the body. It does not cause the loss of limbs as seen in the second. The second kind is lepromatous. This is the type that causes loss of limbs apart from the skin disease. And then there is what he called borderline. This causes skin lesions as well, but mostly flat skin lesions and not tubercles like in the first. Skin uh, lesions are generally more widespread. It also does not cause the loss of limbs. And then he was making this observation. That could be why there was no restoration in this and why there is sometimes no restoration in the healing or the cleansing of leprosy. It is just a cleansing that is needed. And uh, it was not not something that took body parts. So I thought you would enjoy that. Victor, of course, he is a doctor, medical profession, all that sort of stuff. And I, I enjoy that. Sent him a note back and said, I appreciate that because I do not have access to all the medical things that he would. So we appreciate him uh, sending that over to us. But here we want to take a look at Luke. We're looking at Luke's gospel. We want to take a look at what happens when you need a big miracle in your life. Have you ever been in a place where you need a big miracle in your life? Does that mean your faith is small? Did you get in a situation in your life where you need a big miracle because you have small faith? Do we get into situations of needing miracles because our faith was inadequate in some way? So we want to take on this question as well as some other things to um, to look at this that we can glean from this particular thing, particular story. In verse 1, Now when he concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now, we're taking these healing miracles in order as best we can. I am hitting a pocket here where it's really unsure the next three or four miracles, which one goes first and which one goes second. It's kind of tough to tell on that. So they're all kind of lumped together. So this is the one that I picked to go first. But it could have been one or two other ones as well. And a certain centurion's servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving. For he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them. Some time ago, just not too many weeks ago, we had gone over a teaching with him about how to discern if you have, if someone is misteaching something or leaving, giving you misleading information. We gave you four particular things that would help out. One of those things was, last week we were talking about separation. This week we are going to talk about isolation. One of the things is that people will do when they want to teach you something wrong from Scripture is to isolate it from everything else. Once that happens, you know we're probably in a wrong place. You don't need to isolate scriptures to get the truth out of it. There have been people, I can, um, don't ask me who, I don't, 
know who. I know that there are people out here that teach this. They teach it because they're trying to get an okay on a certain way of life and a certain doctrine. And that's why they do it. But they will take this scripture with the centurion and his servant and they will tell you that the servant and the centurion had a homosexual relationship. And that is why he is so close to him and why he is so dear to him. And that Jesus, in going to his home, is putting his stamp of approval on a homosexual relationship. There are people out there that will teach this sort of stuff. Yeah, it's garbage. It has nothing to do with it. It's a, it's a servant. He had a concern for it. In fact, uh, one of the translate, one, I think Williams puts it, he puts him in as a servant boy, that he was young. Uh, be careful on, on stuff. There's a lot of misleading teaching out there, and it's easy to find out. If you didn't uh, go over that teaching before, we did review it here just a little bit on a Sunday morning. But there are four things. If you understand, if you take those four things and compare it to any teaching that you got out there, you can pretty much spot something that's leading you down the wrong path. And isolation is one. We've got to isolate it from all the other scriptures. There's no other place in scripture that has anything like that. They're trying to read that into here and then bring along their, their lifestyle. We don't need that. Now, go back up here to the beginning. And a certain, verse 2, a certain centurion servant who was dear to him, was sick and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, he heard about Jesus. He has not seen Jesus. There is no seeing. There is a hearing. I put this in your outline. You can fill this in if you want to. Miracles are seen and felt, not heard. Miracles are seen and felt. They are not heard. The word, the teaching of the word, and testimony of others is heard. The woman with the issue of blood, she heard probably the testimony of other people. When he heard about Jesus, he's probably hearing the testimony of other people. The testimony that you give of the word of God, of what God has done, carries weight with people. Make sure your testimony is right. Make sure the words that you utter are right. God will help you with it. Don't be fearful about it. Go out there and say it. Speak to people. It's important that we're making that note now. We'll see more about this as we go on. But understand, miracles are seen and they are felt. The teaching of the word and testimony is heard. When he heard about Jesus. Now, just to give you the end result here, this is one of the people that Jesus proclaims, this man has great faith. I have not seen such great faith in all of Israel. Whenever we want to find out about the great faith, the people of great faith, we want to find out where it came from. You will find this out. The people who had great faith in the Bible came from what they heard. The examples we looked at so far, we showed you some examples, and they had they got their miracle. The lame man, the uh, un, the man with the unclean, um, uh, the unclean guy with the leprosy. We saw those two. They didn't end well. Neither one of those ended well. Hopefully the people got things together, but the lame man, he's running over there to the Pharisees to tell on Jesus. The man who just took care of a condition that he had for 38 years. The man last week, the leprosy, he says, don't tell anybody about this. Go show yourself to the priest. You need to do that first. He goes out, doesn't show himself to the priest, tells everybody and alters Jesus' ministry. And Jesus healed him because of compassion, not because of faith. Miracles will only do so much for you. It's what you hear 
that'll help you the most. That just doesn't minister to our emotions as much. Now you might ask this question, why does Jesus go? What is it that makes Jesus want to even go along with this guy? Because it says that Jesus went with him. So they're, they're giving support here. When they came to Jesus, they begged him, verse 4, they begged him earnestly saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving. Would that get Jesus' attention? Nope. For he loves our nation and he's built our synagogue. Would that get Jesus' attention? So I have to wonder, why does Jesus go? They have offered absolutely nothing that would appeal to Jesus. Why does Jesus go? Well, first off, he doesn't go and do anything unless God tells him to. So apparently, God told him, go on with these people. I mean, if Peter can be on the rooftop and God tells him, go with the people that are going to be knocking at the door, he can tell Jesus, go with these guys. They're going to come for you. And Jesus pretty much ignores what it is that they have to say. I don't want this. God's telling me to go, though. Now, other people see the centurion as worthy or deserving. But that's not what's going to bring Jesus over. So the people here are sent. The first ones, this is the first group that are sent to Jesus. They come to Jesus on behalf, the first ones that come to Jesus on behalf of the centurion. They are the elders of the Jews. So if you're a centurion, you heard about Jesus, you know he's a Jew. And you want this Jewish person to do something for you. You're, they're either Roman or one of the other nationalities that is nearby. They're not Jewish. They don't put Jewish people in the Roman army to guard the Jewish nation. They would be from other nations, probably those around there. However it was, he goes and he gets one of the Jewish, the Jewish elders because who would know better how to reach Jesus than the Jewish elders? Right? I mean, that would make sense to you. Let's go get the Jewish elders. Surely they would, they would help us out with this. Well, this first group that comes, they come pleading and begging. Going on about how much he is deserving of this. The, the request is based on merit and mercy. It's not based on faith. But Jesus goes. He decides, well, we're going to go out here anyway. Now, I put this note in there. And we'll show you here why in just a minute. But people of great faith. This man, we're telling you at the end of the story. This is the man of great faith. People of great faith are embarrassed by representations of less. Think about yourself. Have you ever built your faith up in a certain area and you know your faith is strong in this area? And then somebody says, oh, sister, brother, so-and-so thinks this. And you think, that is not what I think at all. How many of you get almost offended at that? Why? Because you know your faith is not in what they're saying. It's in something higher and they just took your faith and put it down. It, it's, it's bothersome, isn't it? That's kind of what this guy is going through. Now, there's a side note here on this. I want you to note, and we're going to go back to some of the miracles we've already done. You will notice that the lame man acknowledged that he was what? Lame. He's lame, right? The man with the unclean spirit had an unclean spirit. The mother-in-law with the fever, she had a fever. This man here has a servant who is sick and going to die. You will notice this about the cases that come to Jesus that we are told the details on, that when they come to Jesus, they tell him what they have. 
Jesus sometimes even asks him, what do you want me to do for you? Blind Bartimaeus, that I may see. They don't deny what they, what they have. Sometimes people in the area of faith teaching have thought, I have to deny what I have in order to receive what I want. You don't need to deny what you have. I put this in your outline for you. You can acknowledge your present without condemning your future. You can acknowledge your present without condemning your future. Give me an example is Abraham. God was not trying to get Abraham to ignore or deny that he was childless. What he was trying to get him to do was to see past his current state to what God has promised. He was never told, never told him, deny that you don't have any kids. That's not what he was ever telling him to do. He expected him to be able to do it, and he didn't. Finally, God said, let's just change your name. Let's just get it so that you are speaking what is in the future. And his name was called Father of Many. His name was changed. A lot of times, people cannot acknowledge their future without condemning. I'm sorry, cannot acknowledge their present without condemning their future. Well, this has always hurt me. It's been hurting me for 20 years and it's still hurting me and I expect it will keep on going on. See, they condemn their future. This is what happened with Abraham. Abraham was condemning his future because God would come to him and he couldn't get over this hang-up. I have no kids. I don't care how many times you're going to tell me you're going to bless me. I have no kids. One time God came to him and he says, "Uh, how are you going to bless me? My offspring is one that is not born in my house. Another time he came to him and says, no, no. Uh, I'm tired of waiting for the promised child. Bless Ishmael. Bless Ishmael. Let him live before you. He kept constantly being hung up on the future. Don't be hung up on your present. Understand your present, but look to the future. All right, I understand. I have no kids right now, but I'm looking far off. I'm looking at what Jesus says. He says, you got lots of them. That's what these folks had to get. That's what Jesus had to get people in here. Don't let your present, don't let acknowledging your present result in condemning your future. Let's go on. Verse 6. Then Jesus went with them, and when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. So he goes with them. This man, he he comes, he's not far from the house. He's close enough to the house that he can see. When he sent the elders, I'm pretty sure some of his friends went with them. And when they heard what the elders said, when they heard how the elders were trying to convince Jesus to come, they knew, because they're friends, they knew the man. No, 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 that's not what this man is, is looking for at all. This man is not trying to get healed on merit. I've heard him talk about this. That's not what he's going... And some of them probably came on back and said, they, they have Jesus coming, but this is what they said. Oh, no, that's, that's not what we wanted at all. So when he's not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. 
the centurion sees himself as unworthy or undeserving of a visit from Jesus, but not unworthy to receive healing for his servant. How many times are we in that same boat? I think that God, I think I am not worthy for God to do this for me, but I am, it is okay if he does this for me. You ever been in that place? Hmm. Well, I guess I'm worthy to get healed of a headache, but I don't know about something. He sees himself as worthy for Jesus to minister to his servant, but not to come to his home. He's unworthy for Jesus to enter into home. He's unworthy to come to Jesus. Let me read this to you in the Weish translation, verses 6 and 7. Now Jesus was going on his way with them, and already he being not far distant from the house, the captain of a hundred soldiers sent friends, saying to him, Sir, do not continue to put yourself out for me, for I am not worthy that you should come under my roof. Neither on this account did I judge myself worthy to come to you. But speak the word, even let my servant be healed at once. The very end of 7, Williams translates this way. But simply speak the word, and let my servant boy be cured. I am not worthy for you to come. I was not worthy to come to you. I just need you to speak the word. That was the original message. He dispatched another group. This is different from the first. These are made up of his friends. They are not the elders. More than likely, they are not Jews. They are of other nationalities. Understand this. This is important. They are not sent because the centurion changed his mind. He did not change his mind. They are not there to alter the request, but to correct it. My request was not made in the right way. They didn't communicate to you what I wanted to be said. So I need to send other people. Verse, let's read verse 7 again from Luke. Therefore I did not even think myself worthy to come to you, but say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. Weiss translates Verse 8 this way, For I am a man whose position in life places him under the constant authority of others. That is the meaning of the Greek there. Whose position in life places him under the constant authority of others. I'll tell you, I wish Christians would understand that. We are not temporarily under the authority of Jesus. If you want to operate in the authority of Jesus, you need to be constantly under that authority. Now, understand this. It does not mean you have to be perfect in it. What it means is that God continues to develop you and to bring you along. And every once in a while, He's going to begin to show you. You see this area here? That's not under my authority. Let's deal with this area in here now in your life. Oh, okay. And then you start dealing with that. You see, until you say, no, I'm not going to do that, you're under that authority. Because everything that He has spoken to you, you've submitted to. But He doesn't demand that everything in your life be under His authority at one time in order to operate under that authority. But there will come a day when God will say, I want you to get this under the authority of the Word, under the authority of God. And you say, I'm not willing to do that one. Oh, now we got a problem. But until you reach that day, you don't have a problem. Now, it doesn't mean that that day you lose all your authority. 
No, it means you just start messing with stuff. Don't God will still continue to come to you. And how many of y'all know we've been there, but after a little while we decided, you know what? You're right. I need to do it your way. So he says to this one go, and at once he goes into another, be coming, and he comes into my slave. Do this and be quick about it. And he does. Now Matthew's account of this in verse 8 and 9, Matthew chapter 8, verse 8 and 9, the centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word. My servant will be healed. And then he goes on again about the, the go and the come and so forth. Now, if you took a look at our bulletin, cartoon, you saw that the person, the little uh, kids there sitting in the church were unsure about the purpose and role of an usher. This man is not unsure about the purpose or the role of Jesus Christ. He understood the purpose and his role. And he spoke about it. This request was not based on merit. It's not based on mercy. It is based on faith. This was a sickness that must have been greater than all the help available to a centurion through Rome. The centurion may not see Jesus as a last resort, but perhaps didn't want to take time from his ministry for such a personal matter. I'm sure that Jesus, his ministry, it's involved with the Jewish nation. He's got a lot bigger things. This is just a small thing. I'm not even a Jewish person, and I got a servant. Uh, it's probably not something he really wants to tend a whole lot of time to. I'm not worth a whole lot of time. Could have seen this as not a kingdom matter. He just said, look, just speak the word. That's all I need you to do. Just speak the word, and my servant will be healed. To the centurion, this is an issue of authority, not an issue of anything else. It is just an issue of authority. He says, I say to this one, go, and he goes, this one, come, and he comes. He says, I understand how you operate. And all you need to do is say, speak this, and it goes. That's all you got to do. Now, you cannot minister to people through the authority of Jesus Christ if, in, if you are in rebellion to it. Like we said, there come those days when God says, I want you to deal with this part in your life. Don't be in rebellion. James 4, 7. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. First part of that thing is, though, submit to God. Now, this man, this is in your outline here. This man was looking for someone who could touch God. That's what he wanted. I want someone who can touch God. I want someone who can operate under that authority. What he got was one who was willing to touch his servant. That's what he saw. This man did not see himself as worthy to have Jesus come to his house. He did not see himself as worthy to approach Jesus. Isn't that interesting? Now look at this. Did Jesus see him as worthy? Did Jesus see the centurion as worthy of Jesus coming to his house? He sure did. Let me tell you what, folks. Your view of how God sees you is very likely off. 
you see yourself as unworthy for a lot of things and God says, I am right here ready to give this to you. If only you would see yourself as worthy. This man would have had a visit from the master. He would come in, touch the servant, took care of the whole thing. But he didn't see himself as worthy. As it turned out, did Jesus visit his house? No. Did Jesus touch his servant? No. He was worthy for all those things. But he did not receive any of those things. Because all he saw himself as worthy to receive was for Jesus to speak a word. I think it's amazing. He took his time to understand how Jesus was doing what he did so that he could get into the flow of what Jesus was doing. But he didn't take the time to understand how Jesus saw him. Maybe because of the way the Jews saw him. Maybe because of what people said around him. He wasn't looking for large numbers of people to pray and get on a prayer list. He wasn't looking for people to pray for him to be strong in this difficult time. But he demonstrated his faith in what he knew about the kingdom of God. Giving Jesus the opportunity to speak and to command. I wrote this down. I didn't put it in yours, I don't think. But in this encounter, it seemed Jesus could move this way, not because it was a new thing God would do, but an existing principle that someone took the time to understand or receive the revelation of. It's not a new thing. In fact, you can go in the Old Testament, you can see it was done before. But if you have somebody who took the time to understand what was going on. I put this though in your outline. In order to walk in a principle, you must either understand it or by faith accept it. If you're going to walk in any principle, one of these two things has to happen. You need to either understand it or by faith accept it. Acceptance allows the principle to work upon you. If you accept it, it allows that principle to work on you. Understanding allows me to work within the principle. That's the difference. This man understood and worked within the principle. Most people just let the principle work on them. They just let Jesus do what he was going to do and just receive from Jesus. But this man, he had more of an understanding on it. My failure, if I fail to accept what I don't understand, how many times have we been in that place? I don't understand how God does this. I don't understand why God does this. I don't understand what God is doing here. But my failure to accept what I don't understand will keep me out of the principle, out of what the principle can do. There's another word for this. It's called doubt. When you fall into doubt, you do not accept the principle based on faith. Now, if you decide to accept it, but not pursue understanding, you can operate, the principle can operate on you, but you're going to stay in the lower levels of it. You're not going to get into the greater levels. You have three choices here. Doubt, accept, or understand. And really, technically, you put in there pursue understanding because understanding is progressive. 
I'm going to give you an example in this so you can understand it. Long time ago, people accepted gravity. Isn't that right? They accepted it. They don't know why it happened. They don't know how it happens. They don't understand the principles of gravity. But they just accepted gravity. So if you were up in a high tree and you fall off, branch breaks, what happens? Fall down. Because we've accepted it. I don't have to have the understanding of it, but I can accept it. And I can operate on the lower levels of gravity. But then somebody decided, I'm not willing to just accept this anymore. I want to understand it. And different scientists, different people hypothesized things and they pursued an understanding of gravity. And when we flowed into an understanding of gravity, we were able to flow into some other understanding. Planes fly because we understood gravity. That plane doesn't fly without the understanding of gravity. But you see, I had to understand how gravity worked. Now when I understand how gravity works, I can understand other principles that work with it that can support flight. So that understanding took us to a higher level. As long as you just want to be in a place where you accept something, you can receive the lower level benefits of it. But if you want to really get something working in your life, you've got to pursue the understanding. When you pursue the understanding of the principle, like this man did, the principle of authority, and you pursue it in the life of Jesus, you can operate in a much greater level. Now, Jesus did not minister to people's difficult situations with what he believed and understood. He didn't do that. Jesus didn't come up with a situation and say, well, I believe that this can happen, so this is what's going to happen. What he did was, Jesus ministered to people's difficult situations with what he didn't, with what he believed, but what they opened the door to him through their belief and understanding. Belief is just acceptance. Understanding is something greater. What you understand, what you accept, what you believe, opens the door for what God will do. This man closed the door on a visit from Jesus. Back when we were looking at the parables, remember Simon? He accepted a visit from Jesus. He actually pursued a visit in his home. No no issue about being worthy. This man had a problem and lost out on those things. Now the gifts like healing, miracles, faith, such things, they can supersede many of the roadblocks that we have to work, that, that would keep our faith from working. That's why they're there. They will get you past the roadblocks. Whatever it is that you're having a hard time with, you get those gifts in operation and they can get right on past those roadblocks. That's why God put those gifts in the body. Jesus sometimes operated in the gifts and bypassed a lot of the roadblocks that were there. This man understood what Jesus could do in the area of authority. He understood how Jesus was doing this. Not everybody understood how Jesus was doing this. He pursued the understanding on how this could get done and he understood it was by authority but he did not pursue an understanding on what he was worthy of 
Don't suppose things you feel. Well, I feel like God would do this. Don't put them off on Jesus. Or you may move yourself right out of the way of what God wants to do. Or he says, I have soldiers under me. I got these people, they're under me. I'm under authority. That's what he starts out with. I too am a man under authority. And I have soldiers under me. If you are in authority, more than likely there's, there's things underneath your authority. And I say to one, go, and he goes. To another, come, and he comes. To another, do this, and he does it. So authority, according to this man's understanding, what we have from this man, authority involves three things. Now you tell me if the authority in Jesus Christ does not work right with these. Authority involves three things. First off, go. Secondly, come. And third, do. Isn't that the authority of Jesus? We tell demon spirits to go. We tell sickness and disease to we tell blessings to we can tell mountains to do. Go jump in the lake. Authority involves three things. Go, come, and do. Now authority deals with what is possible. Authority deals with what is possible. Might be difficult, might be unheard of, might be even incredible, but possible. When you're casting a mountain into the sea, that's authority. That may seem difficult, unheard of, even incredible, but it's still possible. Power deals with what is impossible. Authority deals with what is possible. Unlikely. That might be, might be it, but possible. Power deals with what is impossible. I can't see any way for this to, to go on. That's where the power of God comes in. Authority involves faith, not just knowledge. You have to have faith for authority to work. You can't just know about authority. You can't just know, well, I have the authority of Jesus Christ. I hear some preachers out there and they go in there, you have the authority of Jesus Christ. I'm thinking, great, they have the knowledge of that. Now tell them how to use it. We're not flowing in how to use it. Just because you got knowledge doesn't mean that you got faith. I got to have faith and confidence. This man had faith and confidence. If you say this thing has to go, it will go. He didn't have any faith in his own ability to say go. He was a man under authority. I say to soldiers go. You say to sickness and disease go. He understood where Jesus was at with that. So let's go on verse 9. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And those who were sent returning to the house found the servant well who had been sick. He was just about ready to die. He were, they were not far from the house. Jesus says it there within I shot of the house. That's, he says it. They going back. When they left to give Jesus the message to speak the word, the servant is still dying. They get out to the Jesus. He says, all right, we'll do it that way. And they get back to the house. Servant's well. Wow. Look at Matthew's account on this. Verse 10. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, surely I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. 
And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. Who are the sons of the kingdom for Jesus right now? That's the Jewish people. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. Now, if you read Matthew's account, it sounds like the centurion came out. He did not, but in the way the Jewish people looked at it, if you send a representative in your name, it is just as good as you being there. That's why Matthew puts it in that way. Williams translates Matthew chapter 8 this way. I have not found in a single case among the Jews so great faith as this. It's pretty strong, isn't it? I have not found in a single case among the Jews, the people that have learned the word, the people that have studied God, I have not found in a single case among the Jews so great faith as this. Weist puts it very similar. I believe the way Weist describes this, it is this way. It says that he turned to the crowd. That's what it says in your, your spot there. He's walking towards the house. As he's walking to the house, he's apparently in the lead, and these people meet him. And when they say this, he turns around to all the people following him. He turns around to all of, I want you all to hear this. I have not found such great faith in all of Israel. And so he said to him, as you have believed, so let it be done. As you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. Now, Luke tells us that as soon as he got back, they found out. That's within the same hour. So I put this there in the, at the end. Do, your, do our prayers contain the residue of merit and mercy? Or are they saturated with the power of faith and belief in the word, power and the goodness of God? When you go to God in prayer and you're asking for things, do they have the residue of merit? What you've done? Well, look, I've gone to church. I've been studying your word. I witness to people. I pray every day. Are we trying to get there with merit? Are we trying to just appeal to mercy? Oh, God, please just have, have mercy on me. Oh, God, please just help me out of this one situation. Oh, if you can just help me out of this. A lot of times our prayers are in the area of merit and mercy. But they should be saturated with the power of faith. That's what this man was. He was saturated with the power of faith. I know what you can do. Just speak the word and it's done. Now, get this part down. Miracles need an act of obedience. You want a miracle in your life? There's an act of obedience. There is something you need to do. Either God's going to tell you, the person operating under that gift is going to tell you, do this. There's going to be something, some kind of an act, something you have to do. Look at all through Jesus' ministry, when he's operating in the gifts, when a miracle was going to come, he came and he gave them something to do. Rise. Take up your bed and walk. Wash in the pool of Siloam. All these things he would do. He gave them command. He gave them something to do. If there's going to be a miracle, there's going to be something to do. If you get into a line, if you get into a place, there's an evangelist there. There's a, a traveling minister there who has gifts on, upon them. And, they, and, and they're just coming around, putting hands on you, putting hands on you, putting hands on you. More than likely, there's no act of obedience. And if you ever wonder why those mass meetings don't always have... That, that power, that can be why. Now, there are times that people, they just touched them and they went. 
But the people got their faith up beforehand. So if I just get in that line, as soon as he touches me, I'm going to receive. So getting in that line, getting touched, that's what they needed. They had their faith on that. The woman with the issue of blood, we haven't got there yet. But what was her faith in? If I just touch the hem of his garment, that's her act. For some people getting in that line, I just need, I just need him to lay hands on me. As soon as they lay hands on me, I'm going to receive it. Brother Hagen would talk about people that he would have come out. Uh, one guy who was just having a difficult time, uh, receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Just a difficult time with that. And he said, oh no, it'll be the easiest thing in the world. In fact, the Spirit of God has told me that I'll lay hands on you three times and on the third time you will receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He said, really? He said, that's right. Oh, so this is one time. He said, this is one time. Come on back tomorrow night. Came back the next night, got up in line. Came up to him. His whole countenance is changing. He says, this is, this is the second time. He says, it sure is. He laid hands on them. Nothing happened. Are you still smiling? He said, tomorrow night's the third time. He said, it sure is. He got back in the meeting the next night, got up in line. He said, this is the third time. He said, that's right. This is the third time I'm going to lay my hands on you. And when I, when I do, you're going to, you're going to pray in tongues. All right, I'm ready. See, it changed his faith. Before he came up, there was no active obedience. There was no action to put his faith in. Well, I'm just going to come up here and see if this happens, see if anything happens here. But now he's geared up. And he said, as soon as he laid his hands on him, Holy Spirit came upon him and he was speaking in other tongues. There's an act. There's something. A lot of times we're going for a miracle, and I, but there's no act. God, I need a miracle in my life. I just ask that you provide it. Where's the act? Well, I just think he ought to do this way. Great, you think that. That's not in the Word. I don't care what you think. Follow the example in the Word. You have a hard enough time doing what's in the Word. Do what's in the Word. What's the act of obedience? God, I need a miracle in this situation. Then pursue God. What is it that I need to do? What do you, what are you going to call on me to do? Well, I want you to go out and I want you to do this. I want you to ask for brother so and so, sister so and so to lay hands on you. Whatever it might be, something's going to come up in your spirit. Something's going to come in there for you to do. You can't take someone else's word. This man had a rhema word from God. That rhema word from God that came in his spirit as he studied this out, as he's trying to understand that word that came, that God spoke to him was, ask him to speak to the situation. Ah, all right. Now, that's a word that he got. That's not a word that somebody else got. You can't go and imitate somebody else's word. You can't go and imitate somebody else's act of obedience. But God will speak to you. God will help you. He'll get you to that spot. That's why a lot of people, they're looking for miracles, but there's no act of obedience. There's nothing to do. Miracles need an act of obedience. Faith requires the pursuit of understanding. Faith requires the pursuit of understanding. If you're going to have faith, you need to pursue how to, to understand. One of those words you may remember Brother Hagin shared when he was young, still on the deathbed, still getting ready to die. And he, he told the Lord, you know, if you stood right here in this room and told me I didn't have faith, I would say you're a liar. Because I know I have faith to believe. And the words that came up in his spirit, not that somebody spoke it out loud, the words that came up in the spirit was, you have faith as far as you know. You have faith as far as you understand. Pursue a greater understanding. Faith requires the pursuit 
of understanding. Many people in the Bible received miracles, but few had great faith. Many people received miracles, but few had great faith. Many people need miracles, but few see the necessity of faith. Faith is what will sustain you. Many times people have received a miracle in their life. They had that act of obedience, but they never pursued understanding. They never pursued getting faith in their life, and they had nothing to sustain it. That's why so many people go out there and they have miracles, 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 and then they can turn on Jesus. Just like the man. Miracle. Lame man. Miracle. He's up. He's walking. Never has happened in 38 years. He's up. He's walking. And as soon as people gave him a little bit of a hard time, he goes right back to him. That was Jesus who told me to pick up my bed. That's who it was. Man has leprosy. No hope. Jesus speaks out of compassion. Jesus speaks to him. And he gets the miracle that he needs. And he doesn't listen to what Jesus said. You see, faith brings you into a place of obedience. Obeying what the word says. Bringing that into your life. Bring your life under submission to that. Oh, I didn't realize that your word said this to me. I didn't realize that your word spoke this to me. I need to get in line with what this says. Father, help me out. I'm going to work to get this in in line in my life. I thank you for the help that you give me on this. See, not everybody will do this. Everybody wants to go to the evangelist meeting and receive the, the miraculous healing that they need and then go off and do whatever they want. That's not how it goes. You need to sustain it. You need to support it. Not everybody needed a miracle. And we're going to look at this as we continue on and see these. Some people had a great need, but they didn't need a miracle. Their faith got it for them. You never read uh, Brother Hagin's story about how he got raised up. When he came to that realization in the Word of God that the prayer of faith will raise, will, uh, will raise him up over in James. He said, well, I don't have anybody who will pray the prayer of faith. The people at, at uh, my church, they don't teach this. They don't believe this. I don't have anybody that will pray the prayer of faith. And it came up on the inside of him, you can pray the prayer of faith. See, there are many ways that you can get healed. There is not a way. There is not the way. There are many ways that you can get healed. One person is going to get healed this way. That's how God could, re- could reach them. You may get healed over this way. But you cannot get healed on somebody else's word. And you also cannot just all of a sudden change the direction in which you are going to go. This guy wasn't going to change his direction. No, no. My direction, how I'm going to get healed, you're going to speak the word and my servant will be well. Sometimes people, they've been set up. This is what I'm going to... I believe that God will do this in my life. I believe I'll have the surgery and recover. I believe that uh, uh, hands will be laid on me and it will go, whatever it might be. Someone will come along. Well, you don't need to go down to that meeting. You can get that over and over here. Oh, I guess I can. See, the changed. Don't change. When God gives you a plan, when God gives you a direction, stay with that plan. Go after it. Don't let other people move you off of it. That's what your faith is. What's important is, this is where your faith is. My faith is that if you speak the word, it will go. 
That's where my faith is. All right, let's stay with that. Jesus didn't try and change him. Notice that. Jesus didn't say, well, I know that's, that's a way we can do it, but I'll come over to your house. We'll take care of it right now. He didn't do that. He said, oh, that's what you're, that's what you're believing for? All right. Now, you'll notice this about me with, when you all talk to me about stuff. When you're praying in this area, I always ask you, what are you believing for? I always ask you that. Because I want to find out, what are you believing for? I'm not here to change what you're believing. I'm here to take the faith that you have in what you can do, and let's get going on with that. I'm not going to come along and say, oh, you're believing for that? Are you kidding me? Come on, I thought you were better than that. No. You have faith to go in a direction. That means you have faith to receive it. We just get on behind that. Would you all stand up with me? Go over to God. Father, I thank you that you love to minister to us. You see us as worthy of far more than we see ourselves as worthy of. And you desire to help us, to heal us, to move us on. Father, you want people that will pursue understanding, not just live in the area of acceptance. I thank you that you help us with that. Thank you that you develop us. Just as Daniel, at one point, operated in accepting and hearing the words that God spoke when he interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dream. But you took him out of that. You took him to a place to understand revelation to where he sought after it and the things that you showed him were astounding. Bring us to a place, Father, where we will pursue the understanding. And we can make statements like this, man, just speak the word and my servant will be well. Just speak the word. Now, some of you are here and you may be battling certain sicknesses, certain diseases, certain conditions that are in your body. And we're going to have a service and we're going to be ministering to those things. But what I want you to do is while we are going through these, these um, accounts, these people who encountered Jesus, while we're going through these, something is going to be on the inside of you where you can build, build faith on. Oh, I can see that happening for me. Yes, I can have faith that that will go on. And when that happens, hang on to that. That's the direction. Don't let other people talk you out of it. Don't go in a different direction. Nope, this is where we're going. This is what we're going to do. And you can do it. Go over to God. Well, tomorrow we have another teaching coming out for you. In fact, it's already up there if you want. This is actually somebody new for you. And you... Um, He's a, he's from a he's a pastor up in New York. Uh, uh, What's it? The uh, just just forgot it. Uh, Times Square Church. If you're familiar with that one, uh, Tim Delena, Delena. He'll teach us. He's teaching on what truth when truth is called insanity. When truth is called insanity, and I love his passion. And I love the things he's, he's bringing out there to kind of get you fired up to make sure you stay with the truth. Don't move off of the truth. Stay with it. He does throw out something about the Jefferson Bible. How many have ever heard about the Jefferson Bible? How many have never heard about the Jefferson Bible? Never heard about it. Okay. I heard about it, kind of forgot about it. But when he mentioned this, I wanted, well, let me just take a look at this thing and see. He'll, he's going to present this to you as, and this is kind of what it is. I'm not saying he's wrong in this, but the Jefferson Bible is basically, uh, Thomas Jefferson went and cut out sections of the Bible. 
and pasted them together and put that in a uh, red leather bound book. And he would read from this in his home in Monticello. I believe he read from it out loud. He cut out sections that did not involve miracles, the flood, the second coming, heaven and hell. And the resurrection of Jesus, according to uh, Pastor Tim. Now, I did some looking up on this thing. There was only one copy of this. Only one. He cut it. He made this for himself. He did not make it for the masses. He made it for himself somewhere around the area of um, 1820, 18, 19, 1820, somewhere in that neck of the woods. It's only one copy. That copy stayed with the family of the Jeffersons until 1892, 72 years later, in which it came into the hands of the Smithsonian. About 10 years after that, there was an effort that was made to have the work published, like many of other Jefferson's works were published. And there was a lot of uh, opposition to it. I don't uh, really know if they ever got a whole lot going on about it. If you listen to Pastor Tim, you get the idea that he does, that uh, Jefferson didn't like these sections of Scripture and cut them out of the Word. That's the impression I got. The impression I get from studying this a little bit more is that Jefferson was trying to have before him the things that Jesus taught, not the things that he did. It was actually called the life and morals of Jesus of Nazareth. So he was trying to isolate just those, and he wanted to read from that. I'm not telling you that you should or that you shouldn't, or that it was right or wrong. But in the last series, we basically cut out all the sections of the Gospels that dealt with parables. Isn't that right? Right now, we're cutting out all the sections that deal with healing. And we're just focusing on that. And that's, that's his purpose. I just want to see the teachings of Jesus, the morals of Jesus. That's fine. I'm okay with that. I never saw anything in his life where he tried to pass this off as the Bible. So when you hear him say that, and you might get a little upset about, well, who's this Jefferson guy doing this sort of stuff? Well, go on there and you can look it up yourself and, and see. But I was enjoying the, a lot of the rest of it. He has a lot of passion. You will hear that as he goes on through. There is a lot of passion that is there, but I do hope that you uh, that you find enjoyment out of that. We uh, I put in your outline or in your your bulletin there some things that you can expect for what is is coming up here. And the, the other now that I'm I'm up here, I totally forgot what I had written down inside there. But we are in chapter six, I believe. And uh, can I read that for you? Let me just read this for you. I read the last, the last one and a whole lot more people decided to take interest in it. Is it the Christian's responsibility to accept one who has been against you and the godly things you stand for? Is it the Christian's responsibility to take people who in the past have hurt you? In the past have let you down? In the past have lied to you? Is it a Christian's responsibility to take them back into the fold and to trust them again? Is it your responsibility before God? So, that's from Nehemiah chapter 6. We'll be on that on Wednesday. If you want to uh, tune in on that, we will, we will have that going on. If you can't make it in on a Wednesday night, you know they're always up there later on. You can always check those things out. Prayer night is on Friday. Hope some of you all can, can make it out for that. Have a good rest of the day. Bless some of the people around you. Hope some of the things that we got into here helped you out today. Oh, one more thing I wanted to tell you. Andy Roman. 
uh, Roman. He's been um, he's uh, been out here in church a few times, and he had a stroke uh, some time ago. And I put his, a little letter he put up there. He's uh, a sales agent for life insurance and some things. You can read his letter up there and see some of the things he, he was doing. So he got into some, uh, you can imagine, uh, financial difficulties from all that. And so he's just saying, hey, if any of you all want to help out, he's not asking you to send money. He's saying, if you're going to buy these things anyway, think about buying them off of him. So anyway, I uh, wanted to put that up there for you. Andy's a, a real nice guy. We've enjoyed the times. He comes from all the way up in Allentown, but has driven all the way down here to come out to church. And uh, he's been here on a few Sundays and Wednesdays before he had the, the stroke thing happen and all that. Have a great rest of the day.